Good morning, dear saints and blessed Epiphany, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. Today is Thursday, January 18th, and you're listening to the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. By the way, today, January 18th, the church commemorates St. Peter's confession of Jesus to be the Messiah, which is a little serendipitous in a way because our text for this morning is going to talk about Paul's fervent opposition to requiring circumcision for the Gentiles. This is a position that Peter joined him in defending. In Acts chapter 15, we learn that a council was held in Jerusalem to address this very question of whether Gentile converts to Christianity should be circumcised. Well, Peter argued that the Gentiles should not be burdened with circumcision, and Paul agrees with Peter in rejecting this requirement for Gentiles. In our text for today, the Apostle Paul doesn't mince words when he warns the Philippians against those who demand and require circumcision for the Gentile believers. True circumcision, Paul reminds us, is inward, of the heart, and by the Holy Spirit. Folks, I'm so glad that you're listening with us today. Perhaps you're tuning in in St. Louis over the air or online at kfuo.org or using the KFUO app. Maybe you're listening through your favorite podcasting app like Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts or maybe through your smart speaker. It doesn't matter to me how you tune in. I'm just glad you're here. So settle in, open your hearts and your minds. We're about to begin. Thy Strong Word is graciously supported in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Learn more about all the great work they do for the kingdom on their website at lhfmissions.org. And if you have comments or questions about today's show, there are three ways to reach out. You can reach out to me at pastorboo at gmail.com. I regularly get emails from listeners, and I love hearing from you. You can find me on Facebook and send me a message. And every day except for today, you can usually call in with your comments or questions, but today is pre-recorded, so no calling in today. Joining us this morning is the Reverend Dr. John Rickert. He's a pastor emeritus living in South Carolina, and I'm excited to have him on the show because, well, right now he's living near my neck of the woods. Well, kind of. Good morning, Pastor Rickert. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. Good morning, Pastor Boone, and great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, yeah, I'm happy to have you on. Now, we talked a little bit before. You live in South Carolina, but I think you're down by the coast, which is beautiful, um, whereas I grew up in western North Carolina. But tell the folks a little bit about yourself, you know, your family, uh, churches you might have served, or, you know, as little or as much as you want. Well, um, I got married when I was 20, and I'm still married. I've been married for 50 years. I have two children, Isaiah and Rachel. They're both married, and they have given me uh, seven grandchildren. So I'm very blessed there. If uh, you have any grandchildren, you know uh, you love them as much as your own, but they're, they're more fun than your own because once you've had fun with your grandkids, you can send them back to mom and dad. But if you exactly. have fun with you your kids, you can't send them anywhere. They're still there. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's wonderful, though. Now, is your family down in South Carolina? Are you able to see your grandkids often, My or are they spread out? My daughter and her husband live in uh, Inman, South Carolina, if you know where that is. It's mm-hmm. where it's in the Greenville, Spartanburg area. 
my granddaughter uh, is in um, Charlotte, then uh, which is North Carolina, and my grandson is in the Air Force over in Japan. <laughs> then the rest of my family, uh, you know, direct descendants, shall we say, they're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area uh, of Texas. So a little spread out, but at least you I'm got sorry, some what, folks. Honey? No, Houston. Houston. I'm oh, sorry. Houston. <laughs> Houston area. Okay. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Well, you know, I tell you, at least you have some close. That's really nice. But yeah, that's kind of the life of the pastor as you end up with progeny all over the country. So that's for sure. Well, I tell you what, why don't we go ahead and get ready to dive into the, our word for today, which is Philippians chapter three. But before we do that, would you lead us in an opening prayer, please, sir? Heavenly Father, as we look at your word, we realize that there really is nothing new under the sun. And the challenges that we face today in the church are the same challenges that Paul faced and Luther faced and Augustine faced and even people like uh, Joshua and Moses and so forth. So I guess it's true what goes around comes around. We all have the same faith and we face the same challenges and we have the same evil foe who tries to lure us away from you. But you are faithful, you stay with us, and you bring us through. And so we give you thanks and praise for your mercy and watching over us through all our trials. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And indeed, for sure. So we're picking up with three. We're continuing, obviously, from two. And uh, yeah, he starts off by saying, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. So he's kind of just in that one, actually, just one. In that one verse, he's kind of finishing up his first thought uh, when he was addressing uh, Timothy and um, uh, Epaphrodotus. Epaphrodotus. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, well, wait till I'm in the Hebrew, then I really start messing things up. But anyway. No, why, why don't these guys learn to give? Nice, simple names like Joe and Harry. <laughs> oh, it reminds me of the cotton patch version of the Bible. Oh, oh, oh I surprised you know that oh, one. Oh, hey, I, I told you I'm from North Carolina. I know. <laughs> um, anyway, folks at home, you'll just have to Google that, but we're not responsible for what you Google. So here we go. Uh, looking, looking into the text, though, continuing, he then goes into verse two. So he's finishing up his thoughts from before, and then he says to really all of them, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now, that's in the middle of his thought, but I want to pause there at the end of verse 7. Okay. So just, just to take this, the section that we've heard so far. So 
he's, you know, again, as I said, he's not mincing words. He says, look out for those dogs, those evildoers who mutilate the flesh. Paul feels very strongly about this. What is the issue at hand? Uh, salvation. Do you earn it or is it a gift? That really That's, does kind of sum it up, right? Because, you know, they're trying to earn it by keeping of the law. So it's yeah. not just a matter of preferences. This is really has salvation at, at stake. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm as easygoing as the next guy. Okay. And, you know, I, I don't like to make waves. But when it comes to this point that Paul is talking about, this is something that is worth making waves about. Either you are your own savior or Jesus is your savior. If Jesus is your savior, then you're not. And no matter what you do, will not save you. No prayer will save you. There's no sinner's prayer that saves you. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. No good works, whether even the good works that are commanded in the Ten Commandments. And we know the Ten Commandments are God's word, but those do not save us. And this is what Paul is trying to get people to recognize. You know, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And and that's a big deal because, you know, you you made it very clear here. You, you've kind of already taken it right to where it matters. And that is, while we're talking about circumcision here in the context of when this was written, mm-hmm. what we're really talking about as an overarching point, one that can be easily translated to our day to day is, of course, circumcision, but also all the ways that we've invented to try to add to God's word or add to what Christ has done. And as you said, that that really starts to sow doubt in the hearts of people, because if we even have to contribute a tiny bit, we can never be sure that we did it right. And so that leads to a lot of uh, apprehension in Christians who believe that they have to have given their heart to Jesus or they have to do certain things in order to come into the goodwill of Christ. And it's it's tough. It's tough. But during this time, though, the circumcision, this is another one of those Jew-Gentile issues. And Paul's message to the Jews and the Gentiles is that the Gentiles are part of that one and same body. So I guess it makes a little sense, though, from a practical point of view, that some of the Jews who were raised a certain way would start saying, well, Jesus is a Jewish Messiah. Christianity is a Jewish, you know, con- uh, uh, Jewish sect, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So, so why, why don't they have to become Jews first? So I guess I can see their point. Too, although obviously I agree with Paul. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, a human reasoning can always find a way, always find a way to say what I do is the critical element, the final nail in the building for which, you know, for the want of a nail, the thing falls apart. Mm. You know, and so we're always able to find that reason. Uh, you know, I always listen to when people talk about their salvation, and I want listen to see if are they saved by grace through faith, or are they saved by grace through faith and? Right. See, 
yeah, I believe in Jesus, but you have to go to church. I believe in Jesus, but you have to not mow your yard on Sunday. I believe in Jesus, but you have to whatever. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, that's not the gospel. Well, and even we could even take gospel things like baptism, right? The gift of God, the gift of faith through baptism, the sacrament. And, you know, being from down south, when I was baptized at 14, I was baptized in a church that didn't believe that baptism did anything. They believed it was my commitment to God in the presence of the church. Uh At the same time, they were very particular that it had to be done a very precise way. Not just full immersion, but, you know, full immersion three times with deacons on every corner to make sure every bit of me got under each time. So I've always, you know, struggled with our Christian friends who, you know, put so much faith and hope and trust in personal decision. Um, They they end up really doing themselves a disservice. Not that I believe that they aren't Christian, but, you know, you lose a lot of assurance thinking that you had anything to do with your salvation, even if it's using God's gifts. Yes. You know, and, uh, you know, the interesting thing is while they would deny a baptism of it, of an infant saying that that's not a real baptism. We, of course, would not deny the baptism that you received as a 14-year-old. I assume you did not get rebaptized when you joined the Lutheran Church. Absolutely not. Nope. Right. You know, because one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. So, uh, you know, that baptism is good. I've met people who have been baptized many times. And I just tell them, well, the first one worked. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> well, I have permission to share his story, but my dad went through that. You know, he he was baptized uh, many, many, many times until he finally came to the Lutheran faith. And uh, when, when he became a Lutheran, he had the same question. And and in he, they, that's exactly what he was told. He's like, the first time you, well, you got, you worked, and the, all the other times you just got wet. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... You know, and now he's a he's a an elder in the Lutheran Church, uh, studying to be a licensed deacon. But in any case, you know, there we go. We 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 see that when we talk about these things, when we say, "Well, look at what Christ," uh, well, Christ sure, but look at what the God is revealing us to us through Paul, and he's saying that this circumcision isn't a work that you can do to earn your salvation. When we make those connections to say our Arminian friends, our Baptist friends. It's not to condemn them um, because we do believe that their baptisms are sufficient. God worked through them, whether they believed in it or not. Uh, But we want them to have the comfort that Paul's wanting these people to have. So Paul's approach here, though, is pretty heavy handed, at least by today's standards. You know, he says, look out for the dogs. That the dogs is a derogatory term. No Um, doubt about it. Yeah. I mean, you know, we don't often get up in our pulpits and say, Hey, you know, you dogs, you brood of vipers, you, you know, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Uh, well, actually, I have been to that church. But anyway, not a, it's not a Lutheran one. Um, but yeah, I mean, what, what, what we try to make respectful, we sometimes lose the urgency. This is my point that we see in Paul. You know, he uses this language because he sees this as an urgent issue. There's a possibility there will be generations of people who are trusting in themselves instead of Christ, and that's not what he wants. And this is uh, where CFW author was so <clears throat> so good in his proper distinction between law and gospel. Mm-hmm. Law is important. We need to uh, 
be reminded that we are not sufficient in ourselves, that we are in ourselves abject failures. And if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from us, we would run from Christ. Only the Spirit working through the Word calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies us, Word and sacrament. And uh, we need to remember, law reminds us of our need. Right. Gospel fills that need. And he's playing on terms here, too, in terms of we need to rely on Christ, because he talks about circumcision, which is obviously a procedure to the flesh commanded by God. And then he says, put no confidence in the flesh. And he goes, I have some, I have reasons for confidence in the flesh. And I love this list he gives, you know. Now, Mm -hmm. I've been circumcised, he says. I'm of the people of Israel. I am of the tribe of Benjamin. And he goes on to talk about how he has so much zeal. He was even a persecutor of the church. And, and, and under the law, he did everything perfectly, which is hyperbole, of course. But he says that to make yes this point. Yes and no. It is hyperbole. And, you oh, know, please. he knows it's hyperbole. But many people do not think of that as hyperbole. Many people think that they can be perfect. And that's, that's, you know, uh, before he became a Christian, he really did think that he was walking the walk. He talked the talk. He walked the walk. He was a Pharisee, a Pharisee. He had an outstanding teacher. And, he, you know, I think he thought before he was converted that in reference to the law, he was perfect. And I have met people in other denominations. I will give you a, a name, but they think that it is normal to become perfect in this life, and they're no longer sinners. I've heard the excuse of, you know, um, when I say, well, the scriptures say, St. Paul says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And because and, I know some of those people who believe that, you know, once you're a Christian, you essentially don't sin. Right. And, and, and they say, oh, well, that's just before you're saved or before you're regenerated or before you give your heart to Jesus. Paul tears that argument down right here, in fact, because he lists all of these things. Of course, he does list a persecutor of the church as being a, a, not a positive, but as a, as a positive witness to how much of a, of a faithful and zealous Hebrew he was. But mm-hmm. then starting with verse 7 again, he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection." and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Now, as we hear Paul lay this out, he's trying to deny the confidence of the flesh, saying, if anybody has confidence in the flesh, it would have been me, and I have these impeccable credentials under Jewish law, but... It's rubbish. It's garbage. It's garbage. It's, It's a worthless menstrual garment, to paraphrase, uh, actually, to quote identically from Isaiah, because it's like these things, 
compared to Christ are worthless. Now, we know that our good works were created in Christ to do good works for the benefit of our neighbor, but right here he's not talking about sanctification. He's talking about justification. He's fighting An against these people. distinction. Absolutely. Yeah. Help us make that distinction. You know, why is he so passionate about this? Sanctification. Okay. Uh, we, you know, uh, third article stuff, you know, called gathered enlightened and sanctified, you know, uh, in the true Christian faith. That is our life of good works. And those good works are remembered in heaven. So, you know, when we talk about our heavenly reward, we don't mean we are rewarded by entrance into heaven, but we are rewarded for what we have done in the faith through the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is the one who calls us to faith and grants us that faith, and it is that faith that enter, allows us to enter into heaven. So we never think of that faith as a good work. Instead, uh, that is a gift, a gift from God to us. Absolutely. And, and it's just such a, it's such a key thing. Um, so he says, I've suffered loss of all things, but I count them as rubbish. Paul definitely knew the consequences of living a life for Christ, especially in his world. Oh, yeah. And, and throughout history, I think life has gone ups, has its ups and downs for Christians, depending on who's in charge. But I don't think anybody and will where deny you are. Yeah, I don't think anybody will deny that we're on a downward slope in terms of the, the respect that Christians get in the world. In this country. It's on an upward slope in Africa and in Asia and in uh, India, for example, where the church is growing like crazy. In the West, it's spiraling down right now, mm -hmm. but it is on the upward slope in, in other parts of the world. No, and I'm glad you brought that up because the, our brethren in, in Africa are really just uh, just setting a beautiful witness to the world. Uh, I just read an article this morning about the African Catholics who are refusing to go along with these some of these pronouncements from the Pope, and they do that at great Good risk to themselves. Yeah, they do that at great risk. Yeah. But then, of course, Lutheranism is spreading um, in Africa like wildfire fire. Pardon me. And the Africans are sending missionaries to the United States and Europe. So you're yeah. absolutely right. Um, you know, Luther talked about it as you know, like a passing rain shower for the Holy Spirit going from one area to the next. Um, but yeah, it's starting to get dry in this country. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have a job to do or that we should just sort of wallow and lick our wounds. No, rather, we as Christians now have this uh, I guess, even more of a commission, even more impetus to go out into our community and share Christ. Let's turn the tides. I am, uh, I'm retired, as you know. Uh, and so I'm in the same position as the majority of your listeners. And, uh, you know, I don't have a, a church that I'm doing that through. Instead, I'm doing it as an individual. I'm meeting my number, neighbors and uh, trying to find ways to share love of Christ with them. We have started a book club in a hmm. local uh, cafe that meets once a month, and there's a chance to uh, reach out with the love of Jesus Christ there, as well as inviting people to my church. And I'm involved in, in the church activities like uh, choir and that sort of stuff. So uh, there's all these ways that we can 
you know, live the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. But, but we have to keep our eyes open for the opportunities. And if you don't have the blessing of being retired, like our guest, you know, even those relationships that you're building at your work at other places, that that's, you know, and, and that's another thing, too, I want to bring up. When we talk about proclaiming this word, when we talk about, you know, <laughs> Paul says, by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, it sounds like he's talking about his own work, but he's just pointing out the fact that I am going to cling to that which will which will save me. And, and he's already explained that that is faith in Christ. Our desire to share that with others happens best through those relationships, just like you were saying. So even mm-hmm. if you're still in the workplace, build relationships with your, with your, uh, with your fellow workers, if for no other reason to be the, a light that shines on them. Yeah. I, I shared faith when I was a pastor also. <laughs> oh, good, good. I figured you did. <laughs> I figured you did. The only problem with being a pastor sometimes is the congregants think, well, you're the guy who gets paid to share the faith and there's nothing we have to do. And that's You the- have to believe. You know, yeah. you're a pastor. You have to believe. Yeah, that's, yeah, right. Exactly. You, you don't even have any doubts ever. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, I think this is a good chance for us to take a little bit of a break, but folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back in just a few moments, we'll pick up where we left off with Philippians chapter three. We'll see you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend Dr. John Rickert, Pastor Emeritus, currently living in South Carolina. Folks, don't forget, you can reach out to me with your questions, your comments, your concerns, or your complaints at PastorBoo at gmail.com. Be sure to spell it right. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail. You can also search for Phil Boo on Facebook, and you'll find me there. Send me a friend request. Send me a direct message. We can chat. I like answering uh, questions through the email or just getting to know new people. Love seeing all the Lutherans out there in the world and even the non-Lutherans who listen to the program who've reached out to me. It's great to see that you're interested in what we believe. Now, getting back to our text for today, Pastor, before uh, we went to break, we just kind of got to the end. He, He... Paul is talking about the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Before we move into the next section, um, let's establish, though, that when Paul says that I may attain the resurrection from the dead, I mean, help us understand what that means. Is he saying that, I mean, Obviously, he can't be saying that he has to do something. So why do you think he phrases it that way? He, well, uh, he it's like a race. And we're racing to the finish line. And the finish line is the return of Christ. 
and we don't want to slack off. You know, uh, crossing the resurrection of the dead is part of our salvation, and it's a mm-hmm. gift, uh, and it's what we uh, have. But there are lots of obstacles in our way, lots of suffering that comes our way. And you don't have to live in uh, a communist country in order to face trials and tribulations or uh, an Islamic country to face trials and tribulations. We have them in our life. Satan will use whatever is available to attack us. And we need to cling to the cross cling to that narrow way and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And he also says, and strikingly right before that, the, that he wants to know him and that he may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. So for someone like Paul, who is suffering a lot at the hands of, of his enemies, a physical suffering, being jailed, beaten, tortured. Um, you know, he looks toward the end, and we know he does because elsewhere in the scriptures, Paul talks about desiring to depart this world and be with Christ. So he looks toward the end, and he sees at that at finish line, like you were talking about, he sees Christ's resurrection. He sees the new life in the power of Christ. And so he's anticipating being conformed to Christ's death. While no one likes suffering, and we certainly shouldn't want suffering, <laughs> when we suffer, I think the best position is to connect our suffering, if it's righteous suffering, to the suffering of Christ. And that deepens our relationship with him. I mean, that, that's what Paul's saying. I was just reading an epiphany sermon by Martin Luther, actually, and he's making that very same point that, you know, the trials that we face, you know, if we— uh, are used to uh, teach us to trust in Jesus more. And we look at the trials uh, that are recorded in scriptures, whether it's Paul and the trials that he went through, or Jesus and trials he went through, or the trials of all the saints, whether it's Job or Abraham or whoever, you know, it, it reminds us that this has been a normal thing, you know, that trials faced. Uh, having trials is not odd. And so we don't have to say, God, why has this happened to me? God, have you turned your back on me? Where has God gone? We know. I mean, he's at the same place that he was when Abraham had to leave home and leave all his family behind. And the same place where he was when Jesus had to leave Bethlehem and head into Egypt. Same place that he was when the early church started getting persecuted and they left Jerusalem and spread out to places like Philippi and so forth. You know, this is just, we see all this in the Bible, which is written for our benefit. And we say, okay, God loves me and he's treating me like he has always treated his beloved children. And this whole life that we're living is really one of a journey as, as God's children are being conformed more and more to him. And then that's, that's kind of Paul's take too. I and mean, when he says I, that I may attain the resurrection, as you've been saying, it's really about his identity in Christ. And he actually does clarify this a little bit in verse 12. I'm going to read verse 12 through 16. He says, 
Not that I have already obtained this, that is his goal, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So Paul uses this word um, teleios, which is for perfect. You know, he's saying, listen, I'm not perfect yet. And, and I don't think our readers should take from this that there's a possibility of becoming perfect in this life. Because this is one of those, those passages that those who believe that once you're a Christian, you can become perfect can cite. They'll say, well, look, Paul was pushing forward to perfection, so it must be possible. But clearly, Paul's talking about the, the telos, the end, the yeah, goal. The resurrection of the dead. About, yeah, the resurrection. He just mentioned that. Right. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, if you want to take something out of context, you can make it mean anything. Absolutely. What's that old saying? A text without a context is a pretext? Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. You know, we have this we have this idea that, you know, the Bible is to be digested in all these little individual verses because of the versification of the Bible, which, by the way, didn't happen, folks, until like the 1530s. So for most of human history or for most of its existence even, the Bible has been just what it is, letters, uh, histories, um, apocalyptic literature, these things collected by God, of course, uh, inspired by God for our use. But when we divide them up into chapters and verses, which is a great help in finding things, unfortunately, I think we've, we've started to take things out of context as if one thing doesn't lead into another. Yeah, you know, and the chapter and verse system has been a real blessing, but uh, because it's a human uh, device, it does have its limitations. Absolutely. But, and, you know, I'm sure you have found the case where when you were preaching a sermon and we have a wonderful pericope system, but sometimes you go, you know what, <laughs> I need to include a little bit more. Oh, yes. Almost every time. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I like those moments where I read the gospel and I have to go, this is the gospel of the Lord, you know, because, <laughs> because it's not very gospel. <laughs> it's not very good newsy. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, he but he says one thing I do, right? I don't consider that I've made it my own. He's he obviously is presenting himself as a model for believers to follow, but he but despite, I think, you know, I imagine that in real life, Paul was probably a little bit of a, a kind of a pompous guy. I mean, you know, his whole life history suggests that. So <laughs> he, he gets slipped, he slips up into that. But then he has these moments, of course, where he's making sure people know that he's not putting his faith in himself, that that's his old self that he's struggling against. Right. He says, I don't think that I've made it my own. Like, you know, don't, don't get the wrong idea. He says, do this. Forget what lies behead, uh, behind rather, and strain forward to what lies ahead. Now, this is really important because while we proclaim rightly what the Scripture teaches, that we cannot work our way into heaven, that things like circumcision are not uh, what make us holy or righteous, at the same time, as we experience our faith, it feels like we're the ones 
deciding to help the poor and feed the hungry and clothe the naked. It feels like we're the ones just deciding on our own to go to church and raise our kids to be Christians. And there's part of that that is, of course, our will guided by the Holy Spirit. But all these good things are only good in Christ. And so that's what I see him. He's saying, look, listen, I'm not talking about how it works. I'm talking about how it feels. Just keep going forward. Just keep moving forward for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. He says, we who are mature think this way. Uh, Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but sometimes I feel like he's saying, you know, aside from me correcting you every time you say, oh, well, you know, I want to, I want to serve God. Oh no, actually your neighbor needs service, not God. No, just, just keep on doing it. Keep on doing the good works (laughs) that God has given you to do. Don't worry about it. I like what you said. You said Paul is kind of setting himself up as a model here. Sure. And, uh, and of course, Paul would be an excellent model. Uh, But that underscores the importance, I think, of our uh, church year and church calendar. You mentioned that today is the confession of St. Peter. And St. Peter, you know, a man uh, with boldness beyond belief, but he had feet of clay. And we don't want to emulate those feet of clay. But we look at him and we say, okay, I can be bold. And if I, uh, if I stumble, I can re- you know, ask for forgiveness and go on. And the saints uh, that are on our calendar all teach us that. They, we look at them. They had their moments where they stood on the mountain and, and shone like, like a star. And then they had their moments where they were flat on their face and their face was in the mud. But they always return to Christ, and they always find that forgiveness. David, who is on our calendar, you know, uh, is described as a man after God's own heart. Well, look at David's life. He was not that righteous of a guy. I mean, he was, but he wasn't. But what made him righteous is that he was able to say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Right. Right. And he received that forgiveness. You know, if, if you're just looking at works alone, Saul was no worse than David. But right, David no. yeah. was able to say, I messed up. Forgive me. And Saul couldn't do that. I, I think of these beautiful icons um, in, in Roman tradition, Eastern Orthodox tradition. You know, Lutherans are picking them up, too, in the past uh-huh. few decades. And I love them. I think they're beautiful. But I think the the treasure that we have in the saints, as I like to say, is when you take the icon off the wall and you shake all the gold off of it. <laughs> <laughs> and then you look at this person and you say, yeah, I'm in good company as a sinner. Because yeah. here's another sinner who God blessed who God led to repentance, who's in heaven right now, despite his sins. That's where our inspiration from the saints come from, not from, you know, praying to them to give us a little extra out of their treasury or merit, but rather we're going to emulate their life, even when it includes when they have to repent. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, we look at, at uh, Paul and you said he was kind of pompous. Well, you know, he does come across that way at times. That's my own, yeah. my own. Commentary, you know, not the right. side, but, but he I, does come across that way. There's no two ways about it. And I, I think, you know, boy, you read the commentaries, they have a hard time with this, where Paul uh, is going to go on his second missionary journey 
and Barnabas wants to bring John Mark along, and Paul says, no way. And so Paul goes off with Luke, and Barnabas goes off with John Mark. Barnabas was right. Paul was wrong. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. And uh, But what does God do? God uses them both to further the gospel. The point I'm making here is not that we want to emulate Paul in being unforgiving and pig-headed, right? But we want to emulate him in being uh, and confessing his sin, and then we see later on that John Mark is actually a companion of Paul. Yeah, they obviously uh, Paul obviously got over it and was able to. Uh, except John Mark and John Mark obviously accepted his, his uh, forgiveness. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's not, as you say, it's not an example for us to follow into their sin, but it does remind us that look how God used their disagreement for his own glory. <laughs> right yeah. now you got twice the, the, the coverage. And then of course they are reconciled. And that part we do emulate because right. whether we, whether we walk around, you're like, well, I have to be mad at somebody to emulate Paul. Well, that never happens. But the fact, <laughs> but the fact that we have falling outs with people happens all the time. And oh, so yeah. now we get we're to see look that at Paul. in chapter four here. Oh yes, absolutely. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and read some more from 17 uh, following because we have him flat out telling us to imitate him. Paul mm -hmm. says, "Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us." For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. So if you've been to a funeral recently and you wondered where that came from, there it is. Uh, we hear that last line a lot because we look forward to our citizenship in heaven. And I might add the heaven and the new earth, as Paul reveals a little more later in Peter 2. But yeah, we're waiting the Savior to come back. We already know his name this time, which is wonderful. But going back up, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So here in this one sentence, Paul does kind of... Uh, encourage the the system of of commemorating the saints that we do that is yeah. not appealing to the them. church year yeah no yeah not praying to them not not trying to get something from them but just to examine and imitate their lives um but then he mentions there are those and he's crying about it that walk as enemies of the cross of christ who is he talking about who are those enemies i mean I, I, well you know. uh we call them uh, the Judaizers, but these are people, uh, you know, in Paul's days, these were the people that were trying to piggyback the uh, first century Jewish practices onto first century Christianity. And, uh, you know, there are things that uh, are not necessarily bad in and of themselves. Uh, many People in America are circumcised, many guys, okay? Uh, mm -hmm. That does not keep them out of heaven because they're circumcised. Uh, you know, they used to wear these phylacteries and stuff like that, uh, which today would be like Jesus junk, 
you know. Uh, they had these uh, uh, things that oh. dangled in front of their face. Oh, well, no, hold on, hold on. You can't just throw out Jesus junk and then just keep going. So what? What? What are you saying? What? Are you- well, you know. Okay, you know, people uh, have all these little things that are used to remind them of their faith. Okay, it, sure. it might be praying hands. It might be a little plastic Jesus. It might be uh, uh, the Lord's Prayer on the end of a pen or something like that. Uh, there's nothing wrong with this sort of stuff. And insofar as they remind you of your faith in Jesus, then they are a real blessing. And they had it back then. They, you know, they were supposed to have uh, stuff, uh, special uh, things on their doorposts and lintels of their house that would remind them of God and God's mercy. They would have uh, a prayer tassel and, and all of the uh, prayer shawls with all these tassels that will remind them of different things about in the Bible and so forth and so on. There's nothing wrong with that sort of stuff, but it does not make you a Christian right? or oh, Jew yeah. for that matter. Um, well, I just, I just love the term Jesus junk because I, I think there are room, there is all, plenty of room, of course, to have uh, these types of things that remind you of your faith, crosses, crucifixes, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, but you're absolutely right because on the other hand, though, it can become a market that is so saturated with literal junk. It, it's just really the pagans trying to sell trot, uh, you know, little Chotskys to Christians. <laughs> it, it's out of hand anyway. But no, you're absolutely right because we, we, we look at it and we say, all right, so as Christians, we want to live in a way that's God pleasing. But, you know, Paul is talking about there are those out there who are enemies of the cross of Christ because their end, their goal, their telos is destruction. Their God is their belly. They say they only care about earthly things. So we have to be careful when we mix earthly things with heavenly things. Well, yes and no. What What do you mean by earthly things? I mean, there's no way to, for us to escape the earth. When Paul's talking about earthly things, he's talking about things that are only earthly, things, things of this earth, uh, but uh, God made this earth. And so, you know, He's talking about taking the world devoid of God, devoid of Jesus. Uh, You can look at uh, uh, sunset and you can see the hand of our creator God. Or if you want, you can just look at it and say, boy, aren't we lucky that somehow a roll of a cosmic die gave us that sunset. Well, if you look at it the second way, then it's an earthly thing. But if you look at it the first way and see it in it a testimony of God's love for us, God's love of beauty, then it's a a wonderful thing. Well, let's talk about earthly things then, because, you know, Paul uses earlier the phrase sarks in Greek to talk about the flesh, and he's deftly connecting the cutting of the flesh and circumcision to, you know, the, the flesh that kind of rules our lives, fleshly, earthly things. He continues that use of that concept, but changes the word. Now we have, what, uh, hippie gaios, and that refers to earth, used seven times in the scriptures. So we have we have earth being those things of the earth. So I completely agree with you in terms of there are things on earth that are blessings to us because God created the earth, absolutely. In this context, pretty sure Paul's talking about earthly things in terms of 
um, sarks. things that are, yes, yeah, sark stuff, things that are only really beneficial uh, for human reasoning. So it's connected to Romans 8. Now here he doesn't use earth, but he uses sarks. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on things of the spirit. Colossians, You're absolutely right. I'm just, yeah, you know, my concern is that there are sometimes people, they go too far and they think that they have to denounce all things physical in order to be a good Christian. The, the monastic movement at its worst. Yeah, and Gnosticism at its um, only, right? Because that's pretty right. much all. That's pretty much all they do. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and this is why. Uh, and I'm sure that when you in the past have done funerals, and if you continue to do those, you know, at some point in the sermon or the message, you know, we as Lutheran pastors, especially, but all Christian pastors, should be looking at the body in that in that uh, uh, casket and saying, "This body." will be raised again, right? So it's, it's not earth bad, spirit good. And yes, you are very right to to uh, make that caveat. Uh, because even here he says, talk about the citizenship in heaven. Well, the heaven is sort of the interim state before our bodies are resurrected because he says our citizenship is in heaven. He doesn't say heaven and earth, but from it we await a savior who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Now he's talking about heavens and earth, the resurrection. So yeah, there is more to life than this life and there's more to eternal life than heaven. Uh, and I, obviously Paul teaches that elsewhere too, but what, what a right. beautiful message for Christians. So while we don't dismiss the things of this earth, we also recognize that sin has tainted everything on earth and the earth will be recreated. Right. I once heard it, you know, when you were a kid, you ever play in a sandbox with a magnet? Oh, oh, sure. And you pull out all those little iron filings? Well, I heard this comparison once. You know, the iron filings are sin. And God comes over the sandbox with a super magnet and pulls all the iron filings out of us so that we will have none of the marks of sin at the resurrection. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I mean, we have language of bodies being recreated and glorified. Um, you know, we have language of the earth being burned and that sort of thing. There definitely is this action of God about how he's the one cleansing, um, preparing this new heavens and new earth for us. And yeah, and, it, and that's, that's Paul's focus too here, of course, that it is God doing the work. Right. Um, now, I, I, I can't help but read one more verse, chapter 4, verse 1, because <laughs> it, it, it kind of sums it up because the next part of 4, 2 and following is just some housekeeping that Paul's doing. Uh, the, but still tune in because it'll be interesting. Oh, but, and let me just then give you a prelude uh, of chapter 4. There are so yeah, many great things to memorize in there. Oh, sure. Yeah. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, right? Don't be anxious. That's important Finally, stuff. brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever oh, yeah. is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, <laughs> think about these things. Let me tell you, there have been many troubling days when that passage has gotten me through. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, and I can't help but also mention it's probably printed on some Jesus junk near you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Exactly. <laughs> but in any case, uh, let's read that one last verse, chapter four, verse one. He just says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Um, you know, I, I've kind of, and maybe it's a little unfair, but I kind of depicted Paul as a sort of grisly kind of arrogant guy who's continuously struggling with his old life as he tries to follow Christ. But then you read something like this and boy, that's a lot of warm and fuzzy from somebody like Paul, right? I mean, <laughs> my brothers whom I love long for, you're my joy, you're my crown, you're my beloved. Uh, but I mean, that's the Christian life, right? We we do love one another. I mean, the, the world has has tainted love, yeah, but we do in 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 a godly way. Stand firm, thus in the Lord. Right. He's not saying suck it up and do it on your own. Oh, thank God he doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's always in the Lord that we're able to stand firm. Well, you know what? I think that's where we're going to have to end it. Any last words or comments you want to make sure the people know before we before we go today? Um, I would just uh, thank you for uh, letting me be on. It's been a while since I've been on this program. And for all the people, just remember, uh, whether you're retired or not, you can always find a way to share the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, thank you for being on the show, too. It was so great to have you on. Nice to talk to anybody who's living down south. I always appreciate it. Folks, that's been my guest, the Reverend Dr. John Rickard. He's a pastor emeritus living his life down in South Carolina, and we're so thankful for him being on the show today. Folks, tomorrow um, we will be picking up with Dr. Uh, sorry, Reverend David Boys-Claire. It's going to be our Friday show. Uh, he's going to take up Chapter 4, which is going to also wrap up the whole letter. Paul addresses the Philippians with a heartfelt blend of encouragement and instruction. Like I said, he does some housekeeping, but he also urges unity and joy, emphasizing the importance of rejoicing in the Lord always. He delves into what he calls the secret of contentment, which is an unwavering hope and trust in Christ, regardless of circumstances. That and a lot more when we gather around God's word again tomorrow. Monday, we'll keep this series going and move into Colossians 1. So until those things happen, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word. <laughs>